Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our gospel for this second Sunday of Lent is the magnificent account of the Transfiguration found in the Gospel of Mark. This event obviously captured the imaginations of the first Christians. We can find accounts of the Transfiguration in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. And up and down the centuries, it's been a kind of treasure trove for theologians and spiritual writers, drawing from this event enormous insights about the Christian life. In fact, I think last year, when another version of the Transfiguration came up in our readings, I share with you some of Thomas Aquinas' great reflections. Well, he's just one figure among many who draw from this event enormous insight. What I want to do today in looking at Mark's version is to put this event in its very clear Jewish and biblical framework. The Transfiguration takes place on a mountain. Listen to how it begins, this account. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. Right away, we are linked powerfully to the Old Testament. Many of the great events in the Old Testament in salvation history took place on a mountain. Noah's Ark comes to rest on Mount Ararat, and there the first great sacrifice and covenant is made between God and the human race. Abraham is willing to sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah. Moses receives the law on Mount Sinai. Mountains figure prominently throughout the Bible as places of encounter between God and human beings. We, as it were, going up. God, as it were, coming down to meet us. How powerful, by the way, that in Jesus' life and career, mountains figure prominently. He gives the new law, because he's the new Moses, on a mountain, the Sermon on the Mount. He dies on Mount Calvary. And now here, at the midpoint of his public ministry, Jesus takes three of his special disciples up a mountain. And there he is transfigured before them. Whom does he speak to? He speaks to Moses and Elijah. Now, we have to crack the code there a little bit. Moses stands for the law, the Torah, because the Torah was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Elijah, well, he's the first of the prophets, so he stands for that whole prophetic tradition. Now, here's where the code comes in. For a Jew of Jesus' time, if you wanted to refer to the whole of the scriptures, for the whole of Revelation, you would say, in the law and in the prophets. It was a shorthand, a way of summing up all of scripture and all of Revelation. 
So, on this holy mountain, Jesus goes up with his disciples. There he's transfigured, this blaze of illumination, and he speaks to these two archetypal figures. What's being said here symbolically is Jesus is himself the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. The Torah given to Moses looks to him. That's why Moses speaks to him. Elijah, standing for the whole prophetic tradition, looks to Jesus. That's why Elijah speaks to him. And in the blaze of glory of the transfiguration, we see this relationship on display. Now, this term fulfillment runs right through the New Testament. You'll find it in the Gospels. You'll find it all through the epistles of Paul. You'll find it implied in the book of Revelation. Fulfillment. The Old Testament is not negated by Christ. No, no, not negated. Not opposed by any means. It's fulfilled by him. N.T. Wright is a scholar I've probably referred to before. He's now the Anglican Bishop of Durham. And he's one of the great New Testament scholars in the world today. N.T. Wright says, the Old Testament, no matter how you squint at it, is an unfinished book. It's unfinished. There's something about the Torah that looks beyond itself. The prophets point to something which is yet to come. The Old Testament is a kind of promise that has not yet been answered. How do the Christians read Jesus Christ? They read him as the fulfillment of the Torah and the fulfillment of the prophets. Now, how does it work? What does that mean precisely? Well, look. Why was the Torah given to Israel? Because Israel is the chosen people and elected people. Out of all the nations of the world, God chose Israel to make of them a holy people, to make of them a priestly nation. We hear that in different points in the Old Testament. He wanted to form them in such a way that they would become a galvanizing and magnetic presence in the world that through Israel, the priestly nation, all the nations of the world would come and be gathered according to God's will and purpose. That was the intention of the Torah, to form a holy people. Why is the Torah unfulfilled? Because it didn't make the people holy. From the very beginning, Moses receives the Ten Commandments. He receives this vision of God. He has this intimacy with the Lord. And almost immediately the people fall into disobedience and idolatry. Israel has the law. They know what the law is. But time and again, they refuse to follow it. They know who they are supposed to be, a holy people but they don't become a holy people.
The Torah, in all of its beauty and spiritual purpose, is unfulfilled. What's the result of this? It's as plain as day. Obedient Israel is meant to attract the nations of the world. Remember, I, I referred to this often before, but in the second chapter of Isaiah, you find this. Mount Zion, true pole of the earth. There all the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. That means Israel obedient to the Torah. And then, through them, Isaiah says, a light goes out to all the nations, and all the nations and all the kings will be gathered unto Zion. That was the hope, that was the dream. But what in fact has happened? In fact, Israel has not gathered the nations. In fact, the nations have overrun Israel. From Egypt to enslave them, to the Assyrians, to the Babylonians, to the Greeks, and to the Romans. The nations have not come to Israel to be gathered. They've attacked Israel. Oh, Jewish people read their own history theologically, not just economically and politically. They read it theologically. The fact that they were an oppressed people meant to them, we've not obeyed the Torah. We've not become the holy people God wants us to be. And that's why the nations have overrun us. Okay, there's the Torah. How about the prophets, symbolized by Elijah? What you hear constantly in the prophets, over and again in the prophets, a summons to Israel to fidelity. Yes, the prophets attacked the pagan nations. They're clear about that. But they're even harsher on their own people. With a bluntness that verges on, on harshness and violence, they call Israel back to fidelity. They name the sins of the people. The Torah, the Torah, the Torah. If you are faithful to it, you'll be blessed. More to it, in all the prophets you find, a longing that God will one day send a Messiah. One day there will come someone who will lead Israel to its true identity and who will defeat the enemies of Israel and will gather the nations. A Messiah will come. Torah unfulfilled. The prophets filled with longing. And then there comes Jesus. Who is he? Jesus is, first, in his own person, faithful Israel. Remember that great account of the visitation we hear from Simeon. He is a light to the nations, and he is the glory of his people Israel. The Christ child is seen as the one who will fulfill in his own life, in his own person, the demands of the Torah. He will be, by his own obedience, yes, even unto death, he will be faithful Israel. In him, the law is fulfilled. That's why he converses with Moses. And he is the one whom the prophets longed for. He is the Messiah whom they saw from a distance. Yes, now listen. The Messiah who would gather Israel and who would defeat the enemies of Israel 
and begin the gatherings of the nations. How did he do it? Not as anybody expected. They all were expecting a military Messiah who would, like David or Solomon, drive out the enemies of Israel. Oh, but how did the Messiah actually do it? By taking upon himself all of the sin and negativity and violence of the nations. It's summed up in his cross. It's summed up in his cross. He took all the negativity of sin upon himself and then swallowed it up in his own divine mercy. And in that act, in a way that nobody expected, he did, in fact, defeat the enemies of Israel. In that act, though it was something no one expected, he became the obedient son of the Torah. In that act of swallowing up all the violence of the world in the divine mercy, he became a light unto the nations. And that's why Elijah speaks to him at the transfiguration. Did you notice now, as the story comes to a close, it says that the apostles looked up they had seen the three of them talking. At the end, they look up and they saw only Jesus. It's a beautiful little symbol, isn't it? Moses finds his fulfillment in Christ. Elijah finds his fulfillment in Christ. They, as it were, disappear into him and into his mission. And now, through the church, which is the body of Christ, now, the gathering of the nations has begun. What Isaiah dreamed about, what Moses and Elijah looked to, is now becoming real in the life of the church. That, I think, is the symbolic power of this great story of the Transfiguration. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the Word on Fire. I pray that, together, we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor, here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708 449-6100 Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.